Thanks for joining us for season three of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders at Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy, and I'd like to inter- introduce my partner, my friend, my brother from another mother, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for the kind introduction, Jimmy. And for all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. Uh, Jimmy, before we get started, because I know you're anxious to get into this because we've got a fantastic guest today, just want to um, tell you how excited I am about the uh, the Branded Hospitality Marketplace that we just launched. Jimmy, did you know that? I, I think I knew a little bit about it, uh, Shatsy, but why don't you tell me? I'm going to go real quick on it. It's a, it. We launched the branded strategic hospitality marketplace, the, the branded marketplace. Uh, it's, a, it's a digital e-commerce platform. It's a great place for all operators, anybody touching food and beverage, to go to and find phenomenal uh, best-in-class solutions in everything from technology to suppliers to professional services. So when you get a chance, check out the brandedmarketplace.com. And uh, let us know what you think and uh, and check it out. So that was my plug for the marketplace, Jimmy. You could take it from here. I love it. Well done, Shatsy. All right, listen, today I am extremely excited about our episode. Uh, I've enjoyed all of our guests. And, and thus far, the Hospital Hangout has really focused primarily on the CEOs of tech companies uh, that are making things happen and driving value. Uh, Jim, Jimmy's been excited about this all week, Troy. He hasn't stopped talking about it. It is true. Well, because I feel at the end of the day, at the heart of branded business is we are an early stage investing and accelerating uh, platform focused on hospitality-centric technology companies. Uh, so we are first and foremost investors. And our guest today is our friend and, and in Brandon's opinion, uh, truly one of the leading experts when it comes to hospitality technology uh, investing. Mr. Troy Hanikoff, Managing Director of Math Venture Partners. And we can't wait to get this conversation started. Uh, Troy, uh, we'd, we'd love you to take the lead, uh, introduce yourself uh, and Math Ventures, and then we'll jump into uh, our, own, uh, our own discussion. Oh, well, thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Um, you know, we've we've been on a, a journey together. Um, we've been co-investors for a while, but um, you asked me to introduce myself. So I'm Troy Hennikoff, uh, managing director, one of the managing directors at Math Venture Partners. There's three of us. Um, but my journey started as an entrepreneur. And to this day, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. So I started my first company right out of college, which doesn't sound unusual today. People do it all the time. I don't want to let everybody know how old I am, but <laughs> and uh, and the idea of starting a business coming out of college was something that just sounded crazy, and I didn't know anybody who'd ever done it. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant. It's a true story. I was, I was literally the but, first time. But you knew you wanted to be one. Right. <laughs> said to me, "What do you do?" And I was telling her what I did, and and she said, "Oh, you're an entrepreneur." And I'm like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> and it's not easy to spell entrepreneur if you've never seen it before. So anyway, true story. But I started my first business um, in the early days of the PC and software writing database applications and building custom software. And, uh, you know, grew that business and we sold it and I ended up running the software division for the company that bought it. And then I started another business. I, I uh, built a bunch of companies, most notably Assure Payroll. Assure Payroll was the first Internet payroll company in the country. And uh, I and two co-founders started that in late 99, early 2000. Um, today, Sure Payroll is owned by Paychex, processes payroll for over 100,000 companies. We don't have anything to do with it anymore. We sold it in 2011. But um, 
along the journey of running multiple businesses, and there were a few after Sure Payroll, I started getting really involved in helping other entrepreneurs. And that took many forms. At first, it was teaching. So I was teaching an entrepreneurship class at Northwestern. Then that led to angel investing, investing in some of the companies. Actually, one of the very first companies I invested in came out of my class. It was a group of students who uh, built a company called Next Big Sound. They started in my class. They went through Techstars in 2009 down in Boulder, Colorado. I had no idea what Techstars was. They introduced me to it. Mm -hmm. um, as a result of seeing what Techstars was, being a mentor to Next Big Sound, going down, seeing Demo Day. I said, oh my God, this is amazing. And there were a handful of other people from Chicago who said, this is incredible. We want to do this same thing in Chicago for the Chicago ecosystem. And so there were four of us who started what an accelerator in Chicago, originally called Accelerate Labs in 2010. Um, three years later, that became Techstars Chicago. And I ran that for seven years. Um, along the way, saw opportunities to do more investing and realized that with my limited capital, I could only have so much of an impact. But by starting a fund, we could have a bigger impact. And so uh, we launched Math Venture Partners in 2014 officially uh, with our first fund. We have two funds, a little over 75 million under management. And uh, we are all operators. So the three partners are all operators. And we fundamentally believe that the thing that leads to outsized success and outsized returns is an unfair advantage in customer acquisition. At the end of the day, you can have the coolest product, you can have the best features, but if you don't have customers, <laughs> you don't have anything. And so we focus on companies that have an unfair advantage in customer acquisition, it comes in many forms. So today, I spend most of my time with Math Venture Partners, managing our portfolio, working with our portfolio companies, looking at new investments. I still spend a lot of time mentoring and helping tech stars, and I still teach one quarter a year at Northwestern at the Kellogg School of Business. So it's kind of all things focused on entrepreneurs and helping entrepreneurs, and I love it. I think I got the best job in the world. I sit around and talk to smart people who want to change the world and, you know, one out of 100, one out of 200 of them, I actually get to work with to help them change the world. You know, Troy, I loved all that. And I agreed with almost all of it until the very end, because actually I think I have the best job in the world. So, um, well, you get I'm, to I'm hang happy. out with me every day. James, I get to so hang obviously. out with Shatsy. I get to work with entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of similarities, but I, I will respectfully share in the, um, I think it's a, it's a real privilege and joy to be able to, to enjoy what you do. Um, you know, as I mentioned at the top of, of the show, most of our guests, um, you know, are, are, are tech and hospitality operators. Um, but, but I don't want to under, uh, you know, uh, underscore the criticality that it's the finance, you know, guys and girls behind the scene that are really affording, uh, uh, you know, these amazing tech uh, products and companies and, and helping to bring them to life and, and bring them in, into the industry again that we enjoy so much. So we, we really were excited to bring Troy you onto the show. Um, because again, it really is such an important part of the ecosystem, um, and we appreciate you know what you do. You know, um, I just want to say we we actually met Troy through one of our partner companies, uh, Chowley, um, 
which is a um, one of the online integrators um, and really helping to address the issue of tablet hell and helping to consolidate the delivery platforms. And it's truly a hospitality-centric company. Uh, both Matt and Brandon are shareholders. Troy is a member of the board. And before we jump into kind of our own little Q&A, I just want to share a really quick story um, in terms of the first time. Shaq's- Jimmy, you haven't told a quick story in 15 years. I think it's over, over 15. But I'm going to make this one really quick. How did Shatsy and I get connected with Troy? Uh, we didn't know Troy when we were considering an investment in Charlie. We had used the technology. It was early in Brandon's development. And and when we understood that that, that um, Sterling Douglas, CEO of, of, of Charlie, was going to raise some some capital, Brandon decided to uh, make a run to try to lead the round. And that's what we want to do. We're going to lead this round. And we understand there's another group that's trying to lead the round. And we put in our term sheet and, and someone else put in their term sheet. And then... Um, uh, Sterling tells us that uh, thanks for putting in the term sheet, but we're going to go with the other group, and that's uh, Troy Hanikoff and, and Math Ventures. So uh, Brandon was a little disappointed, um, tried to negotiate or push that our term sheet, you know, offered maybe more of this or better of that. But at the end of the day, Sterling was going with Math, and I said, well. Um, could we at least speak to Troy because we were invited to participate in the round um, as a co-investor um, um, with Math leading the way. And when I had the opportunity in Shatsi to speak to Troy and he articulated his business and what he was doing, uh, we thanked him for the time and I called Sterling up and I said he would have been a freaking idiot to choose Brandon uh, <laughs> over over choosing Troy and and Math Ventures uh, to lead this round. And we were Isn't thrilled that with, the truth? And we were thrilled with his decision and we couldn't wait to work with Troy and, and, and again be helpful helpful as best we can uh, to, to Charlie and, and to Math Venture. So there's my quick story. Now, all kidding aside. No, but to your credit, oh. you did invest. You've invested in subsequent rounds. You've invested yep. recently. You've continued yep. to make introductions. So, I, I, you know, we each bring strength to the table. And you guys, I mean, you've forgotten more about the restaurant and hospitality industry than I'll ever know. So <laughs> bring a ton to the table. And I think it's been a great partnership. Well, thank you. We appreciate yeah, that. Um, that so, so all kidding aside, um, uh, we really uh, we love playing um, in in this sport, um, and we're really uh, enjoying working with you, uh, Shatsy, let, let, Why don't you take it off and, and let's jump into our own little Q and A with Troy? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, and that's a great story, Jimmy. I did not forget about that, and uh, we are happy that uh, Sterling made the right call <laughs> and going with Troy and Math because they have been instrumental in their growth. Um, so, Troy, for all the operators out there who are thinking of uh, selling or growing their brands, um, what is that you look for in a company before you invest? And not just operators. I mean, it could be you know CEOs and founders, I should say. So anybody that's thinking about growing or selling or raising money or what have you, what, what should they – what? What is that you look for in a company before you invest? Yeah. So, you know, I articulated a little bit before that math has this particular thesis around customer advantage and customer acquisition. And and that's our particular niche. But I want to step back a bit. I want to give a piece of advice that I think so many entrepreneurs could use and miss in when they're out there fundraising. And, and it breaks. I like breaking things down to the ridiculously simple. When you're trying to raise money and fundraise, there are only two things that you need to convince the investor of. And this is pretty much universal. The first thing is, this company is gonna be worth a ton of money. Not it's a giant market, not the market's big. My company's gonna be worth a lot of money. And the second thing is, I got a low risk path of getting there. Let me convince you how I'm gonna get there. Because if as an investor, I believe your company's gonna be worth a ton of money and it's a low risk to get there, I'm writing you a check. It's that simple. 
Yet, so many entrepreneurs, when they come to pitch me, they talk about the features and they talk about the cool new thing and they talk about how big the market is and they fail. They fail to articulate why their company is going to be worth a lot of money and they fail to articulate how they're going to get there in a way that I have confidence in enough that I'm willing to write them a big check. And so if you keep focused on those two things, I think your odds of raising money will increase dramatically. Well, that, I mean, you really made it uh, sound so easy. All right. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, everyone, on the podcast. We're done. Uh, that's, <laughs> it. that's it. Troy is writing checks. As long as you can sell them on those two ideas. It sounds so simple, but yet we talk to so many entrepreneurs out there, so many CEOs and founders, and, and I think they miss what it actually takes to raise money and how to approach investors. So from your perspective, I mean, you gave us those two things, but what should, what should the entrepreneur, the founder, what should they be prepared for when moving forward and speaking to uh, a, a guy like yourself and Math Ventures? Outside of those two things you just brought up, what other things do you look for? Well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive a little deeper on what I, what I just said. So here's the fundamental thing. Um, in structuring your pitch and structuring how you engage with investors. Most entrepreneurs who walk into my office and come or see me on a Zoom call these days, because mm -hmm. we're, we're still dealing with COVID, right. um, most of them come in and they really love to talk about the problem and they love to talk about their solution and they talk about, talk about, talk about. And at the end, there might be one little graph that says, hey, we're going to, you know, our revenue is going to grow and uh, here's the team invest. And what you have to realize is that as an investor, I'm not investing in what you have today. I'm investing in you for the future. Mm -hmm. What I really want is a crystal ball that says, what does this thing look like in three, five, seven, 10 years? And so if that's what my lens is as the investor, I'm investing for tomorrow, then as the entrepreneur, my rubric would be spend no more than 20% of your time talking about the problem. You know, you talked about the problem for Chowley. You talked about tablet hell. Mm -hmm. Like, that's enough. I get it. I've been in the restaurant. There's seven tablets sitting near the host station. It's horrible, right? You don't have to spend any more time on tablet hell. Second, spend no more than 20% of your time talking about your solution Okay, so we put all this stuff up in the cloud. We inject the orders directly into the POS so that you don't have to have people do the labor. Okay, I got it. And spend 60% of your time on the future because the investors are really buying your future. This is where you have to talk about you know, growth and penetration and marketing and sales and efficiency. And, and you've got to have your numbers down. I mean, I'm, I'm a numbers person. It probably won't surprise people since the name of our firm is math. Um, Although that's not actually the origin. I was going to say, that's an interesting story we should save yeah. for. Uh, yeah, we can. We'll let people guess as to why we're called math, although I don't know that they have enough information yep. yet. But, um, but anyway, uh, but we are very numbers focused. And, you know, I want an entrepreneur to walk into this office and to walk into a meeting. And if I ask questions and I'll triangulate, right, you'll tell me you're going to get to 100 million in revenue. And I'll say, oh, how many customers are you going to get in the next five years? And like, what's your average revenue per customer? And those things have to add up, right? You don't get to $100 million in revenue with 50 customers that are paying you $1,000 a year. It just, the math doesn't work, right? So you have to know your numbers and, um, and you have to have a clear, 
plan and a point of view as to how you're going to get there. I want to be clear that it doesn't have to be my point of view. It doesn't have to be my plan. Many times entrepreneurs come and ask me, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? The answer, the right answer isn't what I think of it. It's what does the market think of it? And so if you walk in to a meeting and you have evidence, we ran a test, we have, we have 10 locations running the software, we have whatever it is and you have evidence that you have product market fit, that the customers like this, that they want more of it, that's super, that's way more powerful than my opinion. I'll always choose the market over my opinion. And so um, I want you to come in with a point of view, with a plan, knowing your numbers, and I want you to spend 60% of your time talking about the future because that's what I'm buying. Uh, can I take your class? I, uh, I want to. <laughs> no, 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 I got to go to Kellogg you know, next semester. Uh, we're starting the first week of April. Uh, you know, it's part of the MBA uh, venture uh, entrepreneurship program uh, called New Venture Launch. You're happy to sit in. I love it. Happy to have you sit in. Uh, this, no, it's great stuff. And I, I so appreciate you sharing these insights. Um, you have been such a um, an ally uh, to you know, to to the CEO where we, we have an investment in common, uh, where we share, and and to so many others, and and it, it screams of that. Um, you know, in, in terms of the many of the qualities that I believe separates, um, you know, you as a top, really as as a, as a top and lead investor, um, you know, is as you mentioned at the introduction. You yourself were a former business operator, and and thanks to your mother, um, she actually explained to you that you would become an entrepreneur. Um, how does your kind of former self, um, you know, your own history, change the way you approach and think about, you know, your current and future investments? How, how do you bring that background and apply it um, into your investment thesis today? Yeah, I, I mentioned that all three of us, Mark, Dana, and I are all operators and um, we do bring something different to the table. And and I'm gonna step back a second. I think when you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're raising money and you're putting together a board and you're putting together a team of investors, you're looking to build a team that is going to help you through times, good and bad, more importantly through bad, and that's gonna have skills and experience that you don't have. And it's sort of like putting together a football team. To have a football team, you need someone who can pass, someone who can run, someone who can catch, someone who can kick, someone who can block. You have all these different skills. And you need to have specialists and people with different skills. And so when you're putting together your investment team and, and likely your board, you want to have a different, you want to have a variety of skills around the table. One of the skill sets is finance. So Jimmy, the finance guy, like he adds a lot of value because he understands finance deeply and can can dig into the spreadsheets and do, you know, do that kind of stuff. And Shatz, he's got lots of experience in the restaurant industry and he may bring the industry experience. But one the place that we bring experiences is operators of businesses and really digging in. And I know you guys have operated businesses too. I don't want to under, undercut that. But really having built multiple, multiple businesses that were venture-backed and venture-scaled, we understand how to build KPIs, how to manage to, to the numbers, what, you know, how to motivate employees, how to deal with it when the shit hits the fan, because unfortunately it does sometimes. And, you know, I think Chowley's a good example. So I love working with Sterling. And, you know, normally we have 
bi-weekly meeting. So we meet every other Monday evening for a couple of hours and we go through how things are going. But there have been times in the company where we're navigating some rough waters and we meet way more often than that. There are times where we talk every single day and we're helping him in a hands-on way that a investor who's a primarily a finance investor. I, mean, I have this image in my head of someone who, you know, got an MBA from University of Chicago is a quant geek, great with the spreadsheets, great with structuring deals, but isn't going to be able to add help, add value. Now, by the way, that that quant geek who can structure deals, I want him or her on our team because we're going to be at some point structuring another deal, whether it's in structuring another investment, selling the company. And that's when I step back and the finance people come in and do, do a better job. But I think that as an operator in the day-to-day -day running of the company, having someone on your board, having someone on your investment team who has deep experience operating many, many, many companies that you can pick up the phone and call and say, ah, oh, I got a quick question. I don't know how to deal with this. Or have you ever seen that is just invaluable. Well, thank you for all that, Troy. That is, uh, that is quite a lot. And I got to tell you, that's why we brought Jimmy on board. I knew that I needed the finance guy to get this baby going. And Jimmy does a great job. And it was really interesting. You got your own football team. Yeah, we do. Well, I, I, I actually could play all the positions, but I felt bad. And, uh, so I did bring Jimmy on board, but, um, no, in all seriousness, that was really, that was really interesting to hear the, the 20%, the problem, 20% solution, 60% of, of the future. I think that's really interesting stuff. And I think a lot of people don't look at it that way. And they think about, it's the complete opposite thing about, Oh, he's solving a problem 60% of the time. What's the problem you're solving and everything else is the, the lead and uh, the, the latter. And I think the future really is what you're talking about. three, five, seven years. Um, you mentioned tech stars a little bit earlier. Um, love to chat about that a little bit. I had the uh, the honor and privilege of, uh, of of this year being a tech star mentor for the first time. I was part of the uh, farm to fork program. It wasn't uh, obviously in person as usual, so I didn't get to go to uh, to Minneapolis uh, for this. But it was all done uh, virtually, and it was incredible. I mean, just to speak to so many entrepreneurs and so many of these founders and all these different ideas, just I'd love to get your take that you were in, you were involved, that you spent seven years, you ran the Chicago program for for the uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs out there listening. What would you recommend the the Techstar kind of pursue the Techstar model for them? Uh, you know, that Y Combinator 500 startups, I mean, you know, if the plug Techstars, but just is that an area or, or a, a channel that you think is a really great one and really has value to the entrepreneurs and founders? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan. And um, I'll, I'll go answer this question starting by saying I'm highly biased. I really do believe in the Techstars model. Um, you know, when I was starting, certainly when I was starting my first company, I had nowhere to turn to. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't I had no network. I had to learn in the school of hard knocks, which worked, but it took a long time. And then even when we were starting Sure Payroll and I had a couple of co-founders who had some good business experience, there still weren't networks. There weren't co-working spaces. There weren't places that you could go. There wasn't, you know, there weren't all, wasn't all this content on the internet. And so where did you turn when you had problems? How could you learn from others' experiences? And when we started, uh, Accelerate Labs, which became Techstar Chicago, but originally it was four of us who were independent. Um, you know, the vision I had was it really took me like 11 years 
from the time I started my first company through selling and exiting and then sure payroll to feel like I knew sort of what I was doing. And I want to emphasize the sort of, I'm still learning new stuff every single day about being an entrepreneur and running a business. But, um, and what I wanted, what we wanted to do was create a place where we could bring in a cohort of companies. In our case, it was 10. We could work with them and close proximity for 90 days and hopefully share with them the knowledge that not just the people who are running it were had, but the 150 or so mentors we brought in for one-on-one meetings with these companies and mentoring so that at the end of the three-month period, they had most of the knowledge in 90 days that had taken me 11 years to acquire. And that was kind of the vision. And it worked. And we had some great companies come out of there and, and Techstar Chicago or Accelerate, they kind of, they merged, they became one. Um, you know, we've had companies, you probably know Spot Hero, which is, uh, uh, you know, the largest parking app in the United States by far now. Um, there's a company you may or may not know, maybe Jimmy knows because it's on the finance side called TradingView that is just hitting it out of the park. Um, there have just been many, many, many companies that have gone through the Chicago program. And then when you look at the Techstars pro- programs across the globe, there are over 55 of these programs all across the world, um, each one taking 10 companies at a time and running them through as a cohort and helping them and, you know, helping them with the various things that they need from fundraising to, you know, customer acquisition to pitching investors to figuring out their actual product market fit. There's so much learning that goes on in such a small period of time. I don't know how else you could acquire that. Um, And there are subtle versions of it. There are different versions of it, right? So Techstars does cohorts of 10 at a time. There's 500 Startups, which does bigger cohorts. And then there's Y Combinator that does cohorts of like 180, 200 at a time. And um, they're all great programs. And there's some other programs as, as well, obviously, and some specialized ones that are just like in the food area. So there is Farm to Fork one of Techstars cohorts in Minneapolis. But, you know, here in Chicago, there's a program called RelishWorks that um, is specifically 10 companies every year that are only in the in the food service and hospitality arena. So there, there are a lot of specialty programs. I think it's an amazing way to get a lot of learning, to build a ton of relationships with mentors, investors in a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, most of these, the, the one pushback that people get, they're like, oh, but it's really expensive. You know, Techstars, it's 6% common stock. So basically, the, the admission into the program, um, what happens is Techstars funds you with uh, $20,000 in equity and $100,000 in convertible debt. And they run the program, do all this stuff. In exchange, they become your co-founder and own 6% of the common stock of the company. And there, are, there were people who, when we were making offers to them, were like, well, my mentors say 6% is really expensive. And I just look them in the eye and say, if you don't see how this makes your company 60% more valuable in 90 days, you shouldn't do it. You should get 10 to 1 on that 6%. Right, right. And, and it does. It, it accel- The reason we call it an accelerator, it accelerates your progress immeasurably. I'm a, so I'm a huge fan of the accelerator process. Um, and uh, I do think there are some great ones. We've talked about a handful of good ones. Be careful, not every accelerator is equal. You have to, you know, if it's one that you haven't heard of before, 
talk to some entrepreneurs who've been through it, figure out who the mentors are, who's running it, what background they have. But in general, the concept, especially for first-time entrepreneurs, but even for multiple-time entrepreneurs, Techstars, we've had multiple CEOs who've taken two companies through Techstars. They went through the process once, had such a great experience, exited their company, they started the next company. They're like, the fastest way for me to meet the right people in this industry and the right mentors and investors is to go through Techstars again. And YC has had that too. There are pe many pe number of people who've gone through YC more than once. It's an incredibly powerful tool. That's really great. And um, I, um, I know I, I enjoyed watching Shatsy uh, work with Techstars, and we've had several of our companies go through those programs uh, or companies we've met coming out of those programs. And I have to say, I, I do feel it's a, it's a real value add, um, tremendously so. So it's great to hear uh, you agree with that and, and really endorsing it. And obviously, you've been involved with them for some time. You know, um, I, I, I hate that I was, uh, not always, but I, I'm, I'm coming back to the pandemic for a moment, uh, which has been really um, uh, a, a, a to say it's a headwind for the hospitality industry is is really perfunctory. It's it's really been like fighting Mike Tyson in his prime, um, in terms of uh, a lot of stores and a lot of uh, restaurants and and whatnot. Um, but when it comes to the pandemic, um, you know, and technology, you know, we've we've kind of coined the phrase um, that the pandemic actually has changed nothing, um, but accelerated everything. Uh, and Brandon believes that the adoption and embracement of tech and innovation, which usually takes years and years, um, has now come to the market and, and really been embraced in just a matter of a few months. Um, could you share with our audience how maybe some of your uh, technology companies uh, have performed during the pandemic and maybe what changes uh, you, you know, you've seen since the start of the pandemic with respect to tech innovation as it pertains to the hospitality industry? Yeah, so I couldn't agree more with your comment about it's having accelerated everything and accelerated adoption. I mean, you know, think about Zoom, and I'll use air quotes around Zoom because there are some other products. But, you know, the first week of March, I, you know, if I did one meeting on Zoom a, a month or a week, it was a lot. The third week of March, I was doing 20 meetings a day on Zoom. Like it just accelerated that adoption and and um, it was inevitable it was going to happen, but nobody thought it was going to happen in 14 days. Um, and uh, it so it accelerated the adoption of technology unquestionably. And it has had impact in the hospitality industry in that it's accelerated the adoption of technology to increase efficiency. You know, when... Mm -hmm. When there wasn't the external pressure, eh, you know, it'd be a little more efficient if we adopted this, you know, procurement system, or if we adopted this, uh, you know, uh, we'll go back to Charlie, so we can, you know, we can uh, cut our costs of having humans who are taking stuff off of the tablets. I don't have to deal with ha tablet hell. I have fewer mistakes, fewer errors, all that stuff. Yeah, it'd be nice. But when the pandemic hit, it became a necessity. We had many restaurants that had previously not done delivery or like, I got to get on delivery platform. I don't need one. I need five. I need every dollar of revenue I can possibly get. How do I do that most efficiency, efficiently? And Chowley went from a company that was doing out, outbound sales, right? They had an inside sales force calling, trying to sell, to just inbound sales. They were just catching the calls that were coming in and their, their volume went up exponentially, it was incredible to see what happened in terms of the demand for their product because they help restaurants be more efficient. They help restaurants get sales and get 
food out the door more efficiently and less expensively. And so we've seen this in a, in a bunch of uh, companies, um, both in and out of the hospitality business, but in, in other areas as well. Um, so it's dramatically increased the adoption of technology, but not technology for technology's sake, technology because there's financial pressure to do more. People had, le companies had less revenue and that's when you're forced to innovate and that's when you're forced to come up with better solutions. And that's what we've seen happen through the pandemic. I got it, I got it. Necessity is the mother of all invention. That's a great quote. Can we can we you can, attribute it to you? You can attribute that to me, but you'll <laughs> but you'll be called a liar. So I wouldn't do it. Uh, no, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and and we're really enjoying the work. Um, and as you said, there has been a need though. Then and, and I think what's clear with what the pandemic has done among other things um, is but is take technology for the hospitality industry from a nice to have or maybe from a vitamin to a must-have or medicine. It's now- Or it a painkiller. Yep, yep, it's, it's critical. <laughs> um, now that's really great. Um, I, I wanna move on and, and actually I'm excited that um, you know for season three, uh, our producer and our partner, Julie Zucker, came up with a, a segment uh, called Talking Back. Um, while we started the podcast to talk to other people and bring their insights um, to, our, to our audience and our listeners. We've learned along the way that our guests also uh, have some questions for us. So in season three, we introduced our newest segment called, as I said, Talking Back, where we offer guests a chance to ask us questions and nothing's off the table. People seem to be liking the segment. So Troy, this is our opportunity to pass the mic to you and you can ask Shatz or me uh, any question you like. Awesome. Just don't ask me. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm curious, you know, most investors look at opportunities through the lens of a spreadsheet or a pitch deck, but you guys actually work with most of the products before you invest. At least I know you did with Chowley, you installed it in your restaurants, you thought it was, it was super helpful and beneficial, and then that led you to think about investing. I think this is gonna give you an unfair advantage in picking the winners. Do you have any data to show that this approach is working? Like you're doing more of it, so you must believe it's working, but I'm curious, how well do you think it is working? That is a that is an outstanding question. Uh, so since I see Shatsy uh, shaking, Jimmy, I just wanted to say I know we need all the help we can get, so I know that. <laughs> since I see Shatsy shaking his head, I'm going to assume that means I'm taking the question, which I which I will. Um, I did not want to take a question from Troy. And, and, way way out of my no, league. It's a good question, and and the, to a certain extent, uh, it's still a work in pro uh, progress and something that we're evaluating. Um, but from the top down, I would say yes. We think our secret sauce is that we are. Uh, branded is uniquely staffed with subject matter experts uh, because we have an army of, of restaurant owners and operators as part of our team. Um, and, every, and the way we look at investments is, you know, we call it hospitality centric. Is the company an ally to the operator? Is it going to, uh, you know, be seen as an ally to the operator? And we've seen many tech companies that have built solutions in search of problems, as opposed to solutions that address the operator's most critical problems. Um, and that's kind of the chord that we struck. Now, the question you ask as we go from that—that's that's the vision. Now, how how do we prove that it's working? Um, and we're looking at we we actually scrub quite a bit of data, and we're looking at, at quite a bit of almost scoring models. But some of the factoids we look at are, for example, how successful is branded at accelerating customer acquisitions, um, and how effective are we at reducing the cost 
of customer acquisitions by us leveraging our network and the myriad of things we do for our partner companies. Um, so customer count clearly is critical. And what is our impact on that customer uh, count, um, both directly uh, and indirectly? Um, we also look now it's on the marketing side, some social media uh, kind of indicators of, you know, how much does that correlate to a company's success at driving revenues, their online presence, and specifically going where the restaurant or the hospitality industry is going. Um, so those are some of the factors we're looking at. And I guess I try to wrap it up into multiples or scores where we start rating our companies, um, kind of our own little uh, you know, our little codes and putting multiples on them based on where we anticipate the branded value factor or our ability to influence the outcome. And we're starting to track those scores to see how accurate we can be when we're predicting, you know, if we get involved, can we truly accelerate this company? So I don't have all the answers yet um, by any means, but I will tell you with great confidence and, uh, well, can't be certain, but great confidence Thus far, the model is working in our ability to drive customers, reduce those costs, and ultimately driving revenues to these partners of ours, which, which we're having a lot of fun doing. Awesome. And most importantly, it sounds like you've set up a framework for tracking it. And yes. uh, as uh, if Sterling is listening to this, he'll laugh because he's only heard me say it a thousand times. What gets measured gets done. And so if you measure these the right KPIs, you measure these things, you're gonna be smart and you're gonna figure out how to how to move those needles and how to get it done. So I'm excited to see it and I'm so glad to hear that you're measuring it. Yep. Well thank you very much. So it's so it's it's not an unfair advantage, it's a small advantage. I think, it's a, I think it's a huge advantage and everyone should come talk to us now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that's incredible. I want to go real quick to the top of the tech stack. We touched a little bit on it, Troy, but um, you know, in the space today, technology is for for hospitality has become in, incredibly important. Um, if you were to give any advice out there to operators, and I know that uh, this isn't necessarily your uh, your domain and space, but you certainly play in it and know enough about it and have had enough investments in it. If you had to give any uh, advice to any operators out there listening, what would be on your tech stack if you had a restaurant today? Um, outside of Chowley, because I know well, we talked a lot about Chowley, so clearly Chowley would be on there. But what other companies or what other type of tech would you say you got to have right now? Yeah, so this seems pretty simple. I mean, it's the stuff we've been talking about. We have to increase margins in these hospitality businesses, and we're going to do it through automation. We're not going to do it by reducing food quality. We're not going to do it by reducing service, right? Those are all things that are, are fighting against us and that our customers hate. But we're going to do it by taking friction out of the system. So we've already talked about how Charlie takes friction out of the system. A couple other companies we've been invested in, full disclosure, we're invested in and, and really excited about. So, you know, Chef Hero, which takes makes procurement so much easier for the restaurant. It's kind of the back end. 86 Repairs, which is a, a company that helps restaurants stay online and, and you know, reduce downtime through mm -hmm. automation. Um we're looking at a new company that I can't name that uh, is making touchless payments and remote touchless payments for curbside pickup effortless. And, you know, so how do we take the friction out of the system that enables us to serve more customers more efficiently while keeping the food quality high, while keeping the service level high? That's what I'd be focusing on. 
Yeah, makes a lot of sense. That is great, and 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 Troy, I'll assume, and when we're done with the podcast, you're gonna you're gonna tell us who this new company you're looking at is, and and, and we're obviously gonna ask. Okay, him. We're, gonna, we're gonna ask him. Okay, um, <laughs> next segment and uh, uh, our crystal ball moment. Uh, we love doing this. We give our guests a chance to put on their Kreskin and Miss Cleo hat and to predict the future. Um, and since the future is 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 what you make of it and how it's coming fast, how do you see restaurants and dining? two years from now in relation to hospitality and tech investing? Yeah, so the models are changing, right? Nobody would build a QSR today without thinking about delivery, curbside pickup, automated ordering, all of those things, and building it into the the business model, but also the physical structure of how you're opening that, that facility. Mm-hmm. And the digital connection to your customers is really important. I see far more digital relationship building, right? So, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, uh, HubSpot was new to the market for not for hospitality, but for businesses for drip email campaigns and one-to-one marketing communication. And I think that the restaurants, as they build these digital relationships with their customers, you order online, you pick up at the curbside, um, et cetera, that they now have a lot of information about those customers and can build those one-to-one, not blast the same email to everybody every Thursday about your specials for the, for the weekend, but one-to-one communication with your customers that will drive them back to order again. And not just with discounts. I hate discounts, right? But think about driving them back with special. So uh, this was a concept I was working on with someone. So they had a bunch of restaurants that had a communicate one-to-one communication platform. And instead of offering discounts to the restaurant, they said, well, you're part of the special club, Shatsy. If you come in today, you can order something that's not on our menu, mm-hmm. the yep. duck fat fries. It's right. only for our club members. Right. And that's how you attract the customers that really care. And you're not teaching them to wait for a coupon and to go buy from the cheapest place or to wait for the discount. So I think you build those deep relationships, you develop a relationship with your customers, you know what they want, and you offer them something extra, not taking something away from the price. No discounting. We don't like discounting. You train them to get, once you train them on those coupons, they, they, they exactly. only look the coupons. <laughs> I agree. Right. Yep. That's great. Great insight over there. Real quick, uh, we are going to go to the branded quick fire. Troy, are you ready? Five lightning round questions. Okay, don't think too hard. Don't take too much time. Five questions. What was the first live concert you ever attended? Uh, Philadelphia Spectrum, Jethro Tull Stormwatch Tour. You are dating yourself, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably had the, uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the black baseball. t-shirt? Yeah, the, the exa- exactly. You know, exactly. You know, exactly. I think I had the same t-shirt. Uh, where are you getting dinner from tonight? So we've actually, you know, during pandemic, we've actually gotten really uh, good with using the Tovala. I don't know if you're familiar with Tovala. No, what is Tovala? Um, it's actually a, a Chicago company. It's a smart oven and they have food that you can buy from them and put in the oven and just hit a button. It scans a QR code and it cooks it amazingly well. Or what we do is we actually make our own, you know, we'll take our own salmon, put it in there, but use their salmon cooking button. And it's amazing how well it works. I mean, we've become a huge fan of Tovala. Use it almost every night. Is that another shameless plug for an investment of yours? 
or not. It is not an investment <laughs> in ours of ours. To and to be clear, uh, David, the CEO, had applied to TechStars Chicago when I was running it, and I turned him down. Oh my! Now you, uh, and now you're loving it. <laughs> and I love it. He's a great guy. I, I, you know, props to him. He's a great guy. He's done an amazing job. Um, he had a vision that I didn't see. And um, he's built a great company. They just raised a bunch of money. Go, go look them up. Tavala. Yeah, it's I'm a fascinating am. business model. Yeah. Chef, favorite food city in? I know it's quick fire. What do you want? I, I can't. Sometimes the quick fires go a little slow. I was only going to say, don't look up Tavala now. You got you got more questions. Oh, to ask. I, okay. I told you to say, don't pivot to look it up. You got to finish. What is your favorite food city in the world? Yeah. So I've got to say it's Chicago. Because, you know, I know there are cities that have have some fancier restaurants and some, you know, uh, whatever, more Michelin stars, et cetera. But, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a plain guy. I like farm to table, natural. And I know all the good places here because I've lived almost all my life here. So I, I love the food in Chicago. I have to agree. I was going to say, uh, I know it's quick fire, but it's going to say to me, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and that's all you need. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, everybody else. Uh, <laughs> when travel <laughs> resumes the complete normalcy, first place you want to go. Well, the very first place I'll go is Toronto. And that's because my daughter is there. She's in college and she hasn't been able to cross the border. And so I haven't seen her for a long time. Um, the second place I'd go is New Zealand, which is one of my favorite places in the globe. It's an amazing, amazing country. Well, that sounds incredible. I got to get there. Yeah. If you are, this is now this is the big one. This is the big one. The fifth question: If you were to challenge Jimmy or I to a game of backgammon, who would you have the better odds of beating? Well, Shatsy, I got to tell you, Jimmy's the finance guy, so I got to assume he'd memorized all the odds by now, and that would be tough. So, uh, if I had to pick one of you. Shatsy, you're my man. Yeah, yeah, you're taking me down. <laughs> Jimmy, you're back, you're back to your winning streak. Back Jimmy. to my winning streak. Yeah, I gotta say, when I saw that question asked, I was like, I thought given I was the real enthusiast, I was the uh, overjoyed about this uh, this particular podcast having Troy on it. I thought that uh, that question that was put there may have been a it was stacked it may have been stacked you. against you, Shatsy. Although my batting average is still pretty good. Uh it's not a not a terrible thing. Listen, uh Troy, thank you so much for joining us um and for all your great insights. We appreciate uh your your hard work and what you and math do uh, for, really for the industry, uh, for, for the companies that we have in common, but also really um, to entrepreneurs in general. Um, it's really uh, quite inspiring. Um, for our, our listeners uh, and for those who want to get in touch with Troy directly, um, you can email Branded because we're, we're not giving out our guest uh, cell phone numbers and, and email addresses. But I thought Troy, didn't Troy have an offer from Math Ventures on this podcast? He was giving an offer. I thought he was giving a $100,000 seed to anybody who contacts him today. Well, well, uh, I think it was, we'll, we'll make $100,000 seed investments. We do that all the time. You just have to go through the gauntlet of the uh, process and there will be one winner. Right, oh, so there you go. I go to whoever the, emailed Troy first gets the hundred thousand uh, dollar seed investment. No, that's not the, what I said. Not what I go, said. Go through the gauntlet. <laughs> but no, if you do want to get in, to, in touch with Troy uh, and the team at Math, uh, please email admin at brandedstrategic.com. That's admin at brandedstrategic.com, and we'll make sure uh, to make that introduction happen. Uh, to our listeners, um, we can't thank you enough. 
uh, for tuning in. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we appreciate and value that you choose to hang out with us. Uh, please join us next time as we welcome our friend, uh, Corey um, Manicone, uh, CEO of Zool, uh, one of the great ghost Get, kitchens. Getting into the ghost kitchen yes, virtual one, space, Jimmy. One of the topics that I think it's probably uh, one of the biggest topics that Brandon is in, gets inquiries about is the ghost kitchens and virtual restaurants and, and just that whole um, segment of the market that's exploding. So we're excited to have Corey uh, on the podcast coming up. I mean, up. these guys are one of the first guys in the space, by the way. Absolutely. Um, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe uh, to our podcast. You don't miss out on exciting guests that we'll be having coming up in the future. And better yet, invite a friend to hang out with us the next time. So until then, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, uh, signing off. And to my boy, Shatsy. A restaurant guy, a.k.a. Shatsy, Hospitality Hangout. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for our guest, Troy. Thank you, Troy. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And the fact that you choose to hang out with us is something we really appreciate. Please don't forget, join us next time as we welcome our friend, Corey Manicone, CEO and co-founder at Zool. I think you're going to love it. It's going to be great. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone.